I was looking across from corner to corner, seeing who's here. And uh, some of you, half of you, may recall that about 14 years ago, I did a sermon series that I called The Life and Times of Jeffrey B. Adamson. Beth is wagging her head up and down. Okay. Some of you are going, what? Um, when I said a few minutes ago about a few things I did well and a few things I wished I had never done, that was probably a sermon series that worked as well as any because through that sermon series, I was able to um, take what was going on in our world and what did the Bible have to say about it? How does the Bible address various things in our lives that are real? And so I'm going to revive that, and I'm going to spin it off, and over the months that I'm preaching from time to time, I'm going to talk about trying to weave the two things together a little bit. Last week seemed to strike a chord, too, when I talked about for such a time as this. But now we're going to also weave in a little bit of this piece on Jeffrey B. Adamson and see how that goes. I began with Jeffrey's birth and moved through all the stages of his life and, uh, and the challenges that we faced. But in the 14, 15 years since I preached that, um, a lot of different things have happened in our world. And some of the topics that I'm going to try to address as time goes on might be along the lines of the sanctity of life. Was that in the news a little bit this past week? A little bit. I might deal with another topic called anger. We see stuff about gun violence and stuff, and maybe that fits in. I might deal about love for our neighbor. That touches on immigration, doesn't it? I might talk about how we as Christians use our money. There's an important one right now with inflation going crazy. Now, if you have, and I'm not going to make a promise to you that because if you ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. But if any of you have a suggestion of some topic that has to do, what does, and I'll phrase it this way, what does the Bible say about, and you fill in the blank, again, email it, text it, or like that to me, and maybe we'll deal with some of those things over the months when I have the opportunities to preach. But this morning I want to go back to the beginning because I think if I want to set this stage, for those of you who don't remember the story of Jeffrey, I'm going to go back and kind of review that story and add to it, add to it a lot. But I'm going to start it off this way. Jeffrey B. Adams was born on July 3rd, 1948. Today he would have been 74 years old. Okay? But if you remember his story as well, um, he's not alive anymore. He died. We dealt with death. That was one of the topics we dealt with. But I looked up this week, who were some of the significant people, well, not significant, well-known people who were born in 1948 besides me? Um, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, he was one. Uh, Billy Crystal, Olivia Newton-John, Alice Cooper. Um, Jim Carter from uh, Downton Abbey fame, and of course, 
the beaver. Jerry Mathers, remember the beaver? Okay, he was born then. And uh, they all became rich and famous. Jeffrey B. Adamson did not. No, Jeffrey B. Adamson was just a regular kid who became a normal teenager, who became a rather average adult man. But when all was said and done, he lived an extraordinary life. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But over the months, we'll think about that. But I want you to think a little bit about the world, because this is what I'm trying to deal with in this whole series, of the world in which we live now, and try to put it in a context that might be interesting to think about. The world into which Jeffrey was born was an interesting world. When little Jeffrey was born, let's, let's, get, let's make him a real person, okay? With a real mom and dad. We'll call his father Ernest and his mother Mary. And when Jeffrey was born in Concord Hospital, it was the happiest day of their life. When they brought him home to their home in Chichester, it was just so exciting. Jeffrey weighed nine pounds, three and three quarter ounces. He was 19 and a half inches long and he had a shock of dark curly hair. Do you see him? There he is, okay, I want you to see him. Actually, 1948 was, for the most part, a pretty good time to be born. World War II had come to an end. The nation was on an uprise. People had some excitement over what might happen. Things looked better. Harry S. Truman won re-election over Dewey. Things looked good. Workmen's compensation laws were passed in all 48 states in 1948. It's easy to remember, 48-48, okay? One million households Finally, in 1948, the number hit one million homes had a black and white TV. I think between us right here, we probably have a million TVs in our homes. Yeah? I heard this week as I listened to the Red Sox play Cleveland that 1948, Cleveland won the World Series, and they haven't won since. A new home in 1948 cost $7,000. Julie and I have a young friend. She grew up in our church when we were down in Lowell. She's the same age as our son, Tim. They just uh, closed on a house this weekend. 1.2 million. Not bad for a kid who grew up in a lousy little duplex. Doing okay for herself. The average income in America in 1948 was $3,000. And I had to look this one up. Do you know how much gas was then? <laughs> 16 cents a gallon. I did a little math. I had to fill my car up this week, and I took the dollar amount, divided it by the 16, and I said I could, I could have gotten in 1948 487.3 gallons. 487 gallons for what I paid this week to fill this thing up. Kind of different. Hamlet won the Academy Award for the best movie of the year, but of course back in 1948 Nazarenes weren't allowed to go to the movie theater. No, none of you would have seen it. It was a great year to be born, but it wasn't a perfect year, not by a long shot. In 1948 the Supreme Court ruled that religious instruction was no longer legal in the school's public school system. Babe Ruth died in 1948 at the age of only, I think it was 53, after a two-year battle with cancer. A nonviolent 
disciple, Mahatma Gandhi, was assassinated. I mean, it just seems wrong. Nonviolent and assassinated in 1948. Life expectancy. Uh, most of us in here would have been dead in 1948 because it was only 62.9 years. There's a few of you who would be alive, but most of us would have been long gone. Things have changed. Things have changed, but they're much the same. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times, and it was the world into which little Jeffrey B. Adamson was born. Oh, there's one more thing I need to tell you, and this is really where the whole sermon is going this morning. And I didn't get this off the internet. I didn't get it out of a history book. I got it straight from God's word. The Holy Spirit was present in the world in 1948. The Holy Spirit was present. How do I know that? Because the psalmist told me that. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The Holy Spirit was present. You see, the whole thing, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was moving over the water. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. I found that kind of interesting. I want to put another verse up here, and then I want you just to think with me a little bit. The Spirit and the bride say, come. I don't know if you can see this. Eh, the, the, the laser doesn't point show very well. But at the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis, the third sentence in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there. Ten sentences from the end of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there. Do you think the Holy Spirit was there in 1948? Do you think the Holy Spirit is here in 2022? Do you think that even without a senior pastor in charge, the Holy Spirit is still with us? Yes. Yes. The Holy Spirit of God is with us at all times. But not only was God's Holy Spirit present back then, the Holy Spirit was at work in the entire world back then. Read this with me from Henry Blackaby. This is from his book, Experiencing God. God did not create the world and then leave it to function on its own. He has been actively involved throughout history. In fact, he is influencing and orchestrating history. God has been and continues to be at work around us. That last sentence just, I mean, just really, really grabs me. God has been and continues to be at work around us. Can I say once again, for such a time as this, God's Holy Spirit is with us and will not leave us? And I can hear some, you know, some skeptics saying, well, you can prove that, you know, Harry Truman was elected or re-elected re president in 1948 because we've got video of it. it, it there's, there's tapes of it. We can see that. But can you prove that the Holy Spirit is real among us? Well, no, I can't prove it. But 
I can't prove it scientifically, but for something from science I can suggest might lead you in that direction. Um, Percival Lowell, one of the Brahmin families of Boston, had a private observatory down in Arizona. And at his private observatory, he could see the planets out there. And then what was, the, at that time, the furthest, farthest known planet was Uranus. He could see that, but he believed, with all of his scientific knowledge and evidence, that something was influencing it. It just didn't seem to be acting like the other planets. And he said, there's got to be another planet beyond it. There's got to be. But he went to his grave and never saw it. It was only about three or four years later, another astronomer with a much bigger telescope found Pluto and said, he was right. There is another planet that was maybe with its gravitational pull making an effect, making something happen out there. It's interesting. I can't prove the Holy Spirit is here, but I can tell you there's an effect. I see him working in my world. I see him working in my life. I see things going on. You know, the scripture refers to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, and true, we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the undeniable influence that the Holy Spirit influences on our world. That must be why the first and most frequently used symbol for the Holy Spirit in the Bible is wind. Ladies and gentlemen, it was way too many years ago that I took six semesters of New Testament Greek. I counted them up this morning. To the best of my knowledge, I did 22 books of the New Testament in Greek, meaning I had to take the Greek and translate it into English. I had to have known something then. I know almost nothing of it anymore. I don't want to know Greek. But I know one word in Greek that is always translated wind. It's also translated breath. Isn't that, the, the, those seem like two totally separate words, don't they? Breath, <gasps> but wind, and it's the word pneuma. And it's the word that is so often used of the Holy Spirit, this breath of God that comes upon us. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> is like wind, present, but unseen, at work, moving and influencing our world, Jeffrey's world, and your world as well. You won't find this in any history books, but you'll sure find it in this book, The Word of God, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it tells us both who the Spirit is and describes his influence on our world. God's Spirit was active, and I believe for such a time as this, is active and needs to be active in your life, my life, all of our lives. The Holy Spirit was at work redeeming a fallen world, and the Holy Spirit is active among us today and needs to be. You see, the world of, now in case you haven't picked it up, 
just let me just make sure for those of you who are a little slower than the others around you, or the person next to you say, you, you didn't get that already? Jeffrey B. Adams' son, you are all Jeffrey B. You're God's son or daughter, a child of God, Adam's son, Adam's daughter, hence the choosing of the name. It's, this is your story. This isn't, this is just stuff I'm, it's fictitious, but it's real. It's you, it's me. How God works in our, in our world. You see, the world into which Jeffrey B. Adamson was born into back in 1948 was nice in some ways, but believe me, it certainly wasn't a paradise. Little Jeffrey B. Adamson was born into a fallen, sinful, and dangerous world. In fact, this cute, sweet, cuddly little Jeffy when he was born was sinful at birth, and I mean sinful. What does the Bible have to say? For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. From the moment of his conception till the time of his death, the Holy Spirit was at work in Jeffrey B. Adamson's life. The Holy Spirit was at work in his life even before he was born. And here's why I say that. Listen to Jeremiah. Before I shaped you in the womb. Yeah, we might pull this verse out again if we think about sanctity of life. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you, a prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. Uh, I'm going to give you what is, when I wrote this stuff down, I said, okay, this is probably going to be another sermon outline for some time later. Here it is, okay? The, you'll, you'll see this again. I just about guarantee it. God's, this is out of that verse. God's election. I knew all about you. God's creation. I shaped you. God's consecration. I had holy plans for you. God's installation. A prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. God has a plan. Do you see it? God has a plan for you, for me, for this church, for such a time as this. God has a plan. I really like this paraphrase from the message. God speaking? I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Would you please remember that? God speaking, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Please let me drive that home while we're in this interim period. God says, I know what I am doing. Don't question and say, God, do you have any clue? He'll say, no, wait a minute, you're the one who's clueless. I know what I'm doing. Isn't that good news for Loudon right now? For this time such as this? You see, all of this is part of God's promise, all of God's promise. And God says, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. That's Jeremiah 1. 
verse 8. I will take care of you. I will be with you and take care of you. This is the promise of God's presence with us. God's presence here for such a time as this. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age. God says, I will be with you. I want you to see God's enablement. He says, I will make the impossible possible. Ever seen anything that's impossible? Many of you know uh, Reverend Dr. Chuck Daly. He was here a few weeks ago. And as we walked into church together that Sunday morning, you know, Chuck is a retired missiologist and missionary and you name it, and he's done it. And he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, how did you get that church built up in Watertown, New York, in that hole in the ground? He said, the story I remember is this, that there was this big hole and it was mucky and nobody wanted to, you had this beautiful location, but nobody would build anything on it because you couldn't build anything on it because it was just, you couldn't do anything there. And he said, I was told that for only two or three dollars, a dump truck, you filled that hole. I said, yeah. I found a guy, excuse me, God found a guy and told John White about a guy who had to move a mountain. A, literally, a mountain needed to be moved. And I said, if you want a place to put all your fill, I'll give you a place to put it. How much can you take? I said, I can take your whole mountain. And we raised, I think it's six acres by five feet. That's a lot of dirt for $3 a load. I will make the impossible possible. Go figure. Go figure. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched me. We need the touch of God right now. We really do. The hand of God is the symbol of making and doing. When he touched Jeremiah, it meant God would enable him to do what needed to be done. You see, this is all God's plan. God has his hand on us right now in this interim period. God has his hand on us. Last Sunday, I shared with you Esther's story. And the phrase was, for such a time as this, that God has placed you into the kingdom. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. You see how these two stories come together? I, if you don't, let me help you with it. And I'll tell you some more. But if for such a time as this, God has a plan. God knows what he's doing in all of this. You see, God knows you by name. He knew Esther by name, and that's why he called on her. If God the Father, have you ever heard John White ever say this? If God the Father had not sent his son into the world to die for the whole world, he would have sent his son just for you. That's because that's how much he loves you. Yeah, I know it's one of the themes of my life. It just is. 
and these pieces just all swing in together. Because Jeffrey B. Adamson was born into such a sinful state and in a, such a sinful world, he was unable to pursue God at all. That's why God set loose the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, to touch him. And you and I need that same Holy Spirit guiding us and showing us where we need to be going. That Holy Spirit conspired with God the Father and God the Son and his church to redeem Jeffrey. And between every line in the story of his life and times of Jeffrey B. Adamson, you're going to see the Spirit of God. So concludes the first chapter and the life and times of you and me because you're Adam's son or daughter. And I think it's the first two Sundays in August I'll be preaching again, and at that point, we'll pick up this story and see what chapter two and three might look like, and then maybe in September and October, we'll see what chapters four and five look like. And we'll maybe in November and December see what a couple more chapters look like. Let's see where the Lord leads us. You know why? Because you and I are Jeffrey B. Adams' son or daughter.